Good morning, church. So I hope you brought your Bibles. We're in John chapter 5. We're going to be finishing up John chapter 5 this morning. We're continuing this very important discussion on what the Word of God says or declares about Jesus and what Jesus, of course, declares about himself. And yes, I understand that when I say what Jesus declares about himself, understanding that Jesus is the Word of God and understanding that this is the Word of God and this whole Bible is a declaration of Jesus. When I say what Jesus declares about himself, I'm referring to the red words. Specifically. I'm not taking discounting the entire Bible. I'm just referring to the red words. And it's never been a better time, actually, for you to brush up on these declarations. You know, or if you've never heard these things before, it's never been a better time for you to learn these declarations and learn truly who Jesus is through his own words. Now remember, context, what we're talking about is Jesus is addressing his accusers. And these accusers are more than likely the Sanhedrin or the religious leaders. And what Jesus did, of course, was he healed a, a lame man on the Sabbath. And he told him to take up his bed and walk. And, and, and you know, they saw the guy carrying his bed and they wanted to know what was going on, etc. And it told us earlier, it said that uh, in uh, verse 16, it says, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing things like this on the Sabbath. But then when you go down to verse 18, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, that would be Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So as I said last week, we could have titled this, um, let me put on, uh, like father, like son. Last week, uh, we called it Equal with God. Today, we're going to call it Truly, Truly. But it's really like Father, like Son, part two. Because that's what Jesus is declaring here. He's declaring uh, himself to be God by calling God the Father, his Father. Claiming that he is the Son of God. So that's why they wanted to kill him. And as we said last week, Jesus is making extraordinary claims but yet he's backing them up with extraordinary evidence. And he's going to go through some of that today, some of what testifies to who he is. He's going to tell you that, hey, John the Baptist testified to who I was, and you guys accepted him for a while. Hey, my miracles testify to who I am and who sent me, right? God the Father himself testified to who I was, who I am. And God's word testifies. Scripture, he tells them testifies to who I am. Moses, he tells them, wrote about me. But if you guys, he tells them, if you guys aren't going to believe his words, why are you going to believe mine? So his miracles were evidence. His words, his authority were evidence. Remember what we said last week, Jesus declared to have the authority to give life to whom he will. And he declared that the father had also given him the authority to judge. Right, And the reason for that was that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Remember, Jesus does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And if you do not honor the Son, guess what? You're not honoring the Father. You cannot go around and say, I believe in God and I worship God, but yet deny Jesus. Because if you do, you're denying God. We cannot claim to worship God and deny Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, we cannot even truly worship or serve the Father. So let's continue. We're going to, uh, let's see. 
I'm going to back up to verse 24. We're, we're really going to be 25 through the end of the chapter. I think we ended at 24 last week, but I'm going to back up to verse 24 for starting this morning. So chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, he's referring to John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words, and I thank you for these words of Jesus, and I thank you for your word, the word of God that you've given us, that you've given to us so that we may grow closer to you, and that, we, and that you will re- reveal through your word your plan, your plan for salvation, your plan for humanity, your plan for the world, your plan for us. You haven't made it a secret. You haven't hidden it. You've put it in your word and you've given it to us so that we may see it, that we may read it, that we may grow closer to you if we believe. I pray, Lord, that we will continue to draw closer to you, continue to believe in your word, continue to stand firm on the truth of your word and the truth of who Jesus is. We thank you for this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of what we're going to talk over this morning is going to be very similar to what we talked over last Sunday, but that's okay because it bears repeating. This whole context of what Jesus is saying, all this uh, Jesus answering his critics here is all tied together. And it's all important for us to have a really clear understanding of who Jesus declares himself to be. We, told, we talked about this last week. Right? One of the things that people like to say, and it's completely wrong, is that Jesus ne- never declared himself to be God. 
Well, Jesus declared himself to be God many times. But it's about understanding the scripture so you understand what Jesus said and who Jesus said he was. Today is the time for Christians to live out their faith as never before. Today is the time to do that. There is a great need for you to do so. But here's the thing. When you're living out your faith, you're not living it out blindly, and you're not living it out on empty promises. You're living it out on the Word of God. You're living it out on the, on the testimony of, of those who have gone before you. You're living it out based on the miracles that Christ has done in and through your life and that you have seen in the lives of others. There's all these different things that have testified to who Jesus is that you have seen and experienced personally yourself as you've grown in your relationship with the Lord. And that's what you're living it out on. You're not living it out on blind faith and empty promises. You've seen all these things happen around you in the lives, in your own life, and then the lives of others. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Your life is a race. Your relationship with God is a race. Paul loved to use, and we don't know if Paul is the author of Hebrews or not, but Paul loved to use athletic terms when he was describing your relationship with the Lord. Right? And it takes endurance to continue day by day to live out your life for the Lord. But now is the time for you to live out your faith as never before. See, the Word of God testifies about the Son of God. And the more you study the Word, the more you get to know Jesus. If you're looking for Jesus, when you study the Word. There's a lot of people who, Jews for example, know the word really well. The Old Testament, not the New Testament, right? And they could probably run circles around you and your knowledge of the Old Testament if you were getting into a deep discussion with someone who was a really devout Jew and their knowledge of scriptures. And, and they know that these scriptures point to the Messiah and about the coming of the Messiah, but they completely deny Jesus because they're not looking for Jesus. But we have Jesus, and we can look into the scriptures, and we can see how the Old Testament points to Jesus, and how the New Testament's a fulfillment of all these prophecies in the Old Testament, and how Jesus fulfilled them. We can point the Old Testament scriptures to the New Testament and show them, hey, look how Jesus did this. But at the moment, they're blind to that. But the Word of God testifies to the Son of God. The more you study the Word, the more you can know Jesus. And listen, I don't care where you are you're in your relationship in the Lord, whether you're, in a, where you're new in that relationship, you know, an infant in a sense, or you've been serving the Lord for years and years and years and years. It doesn't matter. Because all of us need to know Jesus more. No matter where we are in our relationship. We all need to grow more. We all need to know more. Because right? no, none of us know him enough. None of us do. There's always room to grow. And so today, when I mean today, I don't mean just today. right? I mean right now, this time in life, during this season, it's imperative, vitally imperative for us to stand firm upon the foundation, Right? which we build, which we should be building upon the Word of God. Ephesians 4 says that the Word of God basically can equip us, can equip us as the saints 
for the work of ministry. It's for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, those verses right there are some of the most prevalent verses that you can apply to your walk today. Because there are so many winds of doctrine, so many, so much human cunningness, so much craftiness and deceitful schemes that are being thrown out there that involve Christianity, that involve your faith, that attract you, that you might even look at and go, hey, that looks kind of interesting. That you don't want to be tossed, be tossed to and fro by these things. You need to know what the Bible says and whether or not these things line up with God's word. It's never been more important. Right here at the start of what we read today, Jesus says, truly, truly. I think he says it like three times in this chapter. He says it quite a bit through the Gospel of John, but right here in those verses, 24 and verse 25, he says, truly, truly. And truly, truly, Some of your translations may say verily, verily. And I think we've touched on this before. But truly, truly in the Hebrew is basically, without trying to pronounce the Hebrew correctly, right? (laughs) It's basically amen, amen. All right? Because that's the, the Hebrew word. Amen, amen. And it means listen up. Jesus is telling you, listen up. Hey, pay attention. Do I got your attention? Right? Do I have your attention? Listen up. Listen to me clearly. He's speaking to the religious leaders, right? And he's telling them, listen up. What I'm about to say is very important. What I'm about to say is the truth. What, am I, what I am about to say is reliable, and you can trust me on this. Pay attention, right? Back in chapter 3, uh, Jesus said that same thing to Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That was very important for Nicodemus to hear. He said, Nicodemus, listen up. This is a reliable saying. You can trust me on this. Here's something you need to know. Are you listening? Are you paying attention, Nicodemus? Unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here he's telling the religious leaders, like in verse 24. We ended with this verse last week. We're going to start with this verse this morning. He says, truly, truly, listen up, pay attention. Are you listening, religious leaders? Are you listening, Jews? Right? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What's Jesus saying? He's saying eternal life is found through him, but you have to believe in him who's he was, you know, who sent him, which is God the Father, right? You have to believe that God the Father sent his son, John three sixteen, right? You have to believe that Jesus is the son of God, because if you don't honor Jesus, you're not honoring God the Father. But if you do, if you believe in that, you don't come into judgment, but you pass from death to life. Jesus is talking about going from death to life. And then the next verse, so hold on to that, right? The next, next verse, he says, the second truly, truly statement, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Right? It's coming and it's now here. 
When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. What's he talking about? He's talking about going from death to life. He's saying, listen, the time is here now when the dead are going to hear the voice of the Son of God, and they are going to have life. The dead. Now, the question you might have when Jesus says this statement is, wait a minute, is he referring to the physically dead? Like, is he referring to to those who are in the grave and buried? Or is he speaking in spiritual terms, right? As in the wages of sin are death, and those who are in sin are therefore dead, and by believing in Jesus, they can have life. Is he, is, is he referring to it in spiritual terms? And the answer is yes. He's speaking of both. Jesus is saying, those who are physically dead can hear my voice and have life again. I can resurrect the dead. And he's also saying, those who are spiritually dead, which is far more important, can also have life again by hearing my voice and believing. So you have to remember, Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and he just said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus was physically dead. He was bound up in his grave clothes, right? And Jesus said that and Lazarus came hopping out of the grave. I assume he was hopping because he was kind of bound up. So I don't know that he had full mobility to walk, right? So he's like, okay, I'm coming. Maybe not. He gave life to the widow's son who was dead in his coffin on his way to be buried. He gave life to Jairus' daughter, right? They were both physically dead. And all he said to them, he said the same thing to both of them. All he said to them was get up. And guess what? They both did. They both came back to life. And don't forget this. <laughs> this is one of the better ones, right? It tells us in Matthew 27 that after Jesus was resurrected, other people were resurrected too, right? When Jesus died, in verse 50, if you go to uh, Matthew 27 and start in verse 50 and read through verse 53, it says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, right, from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs. And now here's the qualifier. After his resurrection, okay, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can, can you even imagine that? When Jesus resurrected on the third day, many other saints who had fallen asleep resurrected at the same time and just wandered back into town to continue doing whatever. Can, I mean, you imagine you, your family, you know, and you turn around and there's, you know, Uncle George or whatever who died <laughs> months earlier and he's standing right there in front of you because he resurrected with Jesus? That's a little hard to comprehend. That's a little freaky to think of. It's a little hard to comprehend. It's like, whoa, dude, let's get you a bath. But 
So yes, Jesus can bring the dead back to life, physically. But he's also referring to spiritually, right? He's the source of life. He can give life to whom he wishes, but here's the key. And this is why spiritually, I say the spiritual is more important because Lazarus died again. So did the widow's son. So did Jairus' daughter. They all ended up dying again physically. He didn't raise them to eternal life. He just brought them back to life. And if they were raised again physically, but yet they never believed in Jesus, they would have died again and never had eternal life through Christ Jesus. But he raised them so that they would believe who he was and they would come to real life through him. And if you've been raised from the dead physically, that's probably like a huge miracle that you're going to be like, trust me, I'm going to believe in Jesus. Because yesterday I was dead in the grave and today I'm walking around. But we've been raised from the dead spiritually. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. And Christ came and rose us from the dead. We've been born again. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, as we're going to read later when we get to John chapter 11, right? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. If you believe in Jesus, if you hear his words and believe, though you may die, you shall live. That's a promise. And who doesn't want to live eternally in Christ Jesus? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now is the time, right? And Jesus expands on this, and that's what he's talking about here when he's giving, when he's basically speaking about his authority and his, the, the authority that God the Father has given him to not only give life, but to also judge. And he's speaking to the spiritual leaders, right? He's telling them. He even goes on later and he says, do not marvel at this. Like, you think that's a great thing I just said? Are you, are you just, you know, flabbergasted by that? Dude, don't even pay attention to what I said there because, listen, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And this is talking about judgment because he says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Right? Jesus judges the living and the dead. Here's a question for you. It says, there's an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, whoa, stop, will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What is done good? What is done good? What is doing good, right? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not a works-based salvation. That's not what he's referring to. He's not saying, if all your life you've done good things and helped people, donated to charities, donated to food banks, all these good things, that when you're resurrected, you're going to be resurrected right, into eternal life because of your works, because you've been doing good. That's not what he's saying, because that's not what doing good is. 
That's not what doing good is. Because all those things, if they are done apart from Christ, are done in the flesh. And if they're done in the flesh, then they're actually evil. As hard as it is for us to maybe wrap our head around that or try to understand that, all the works we do in our flesh are like dirty rags. You can't earn righteousness through your good works. He's not referring to all these people who did good works are going to get this and all who are evil murderers and all these other things. Oh, they're going to, you know, go into the lake of fire. It's not, it's not your works he's talking about, right? He's doing good is this. Doing good is the fruit of the spirit evident in your life. Remember the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, what is that a sign of? When these things are evident in your life, what is that a sign of? That's the sign that you have the Spirit of the living God inside of you. That's what that's a sign of, because those are fruits of the Spirit. You don't get those fruits evident in your life unless you have the Spirit of God in you to be able to produce those fruits. You don't produce those fruits without the Spirit of God. They're fruits of the Spirit. They're not fruits of the flesh, because in the flesh, you don't produce any of that. You don't produce love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have none of that in the flesh. You only have it in the Spirit. And you don't have the Spirit of God living in you unless you've been born again. Unless you've been born of the Spirit, right? Your supernatural rebirth, your life in Christ bears evidence, and that evidence is the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what? That is doing good. When you're willing to lay down your life for another, when you're willing to love your neighbor as Christ loved you, when you're willing, right, to be the love of God to other people, when you have these fruits that come from the Spirit of God, that's doing good. It's not, flat. It's not, it's not works-based. It's a sign of your regeneration. It's a sign that you've been born again. That's doing good. Doing good is serving Jesus. That's doing good. That's a sign that you've gone from death to life, right? But if you don't have Christ, if you're not in Jesus, then no matter how many good works you do, those are just works of the flesh. Those are just dirty rags. And it says the body without the spirit is dead. Body without the spirit is dead. So we will be resurrected And those who are in Christ Jesus, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? those which there is no condemnation for, as it tells us in Romans, right? we get to go to the resurrection of life. We get to go to what they call the Bema seat. And we talked about this last week. And Bema, by the way, just means judgment seat. So when we say Bema seat, we're saying judgment seat seat. Anyway. Because that's what Bema means. It just means judgment seat. It's actually pronounced Bema. Not Bema. We always say Bema. It's Bema. Bema is actually a, a brand of toilet seat manufacturer. <laughs> I don't think they're related. But those whose names are not in the Lamb's Book of Life, 
They get to go to the great white throne judgment. And understand this. It's a judgment. It's not a trial. Because they've already been judged at that point. Because why? Because their name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. They never gave their life to Jesus. They never believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They never believed in the death and the resurrection. They may have even known about those things, but they never accepted Christ as their Savior. They never died to self and were resurrected and born again in Christ Jesus. They were never born in the Spirit. So it's not a trial, it's a judgment. They've already been judged. They're going to be judged by their works, and all their works are evil because they never accepted Christ. Trust me, I, I know which line of judgment, resurrection, I want to be in. The resurrection of life, right? I'd rather be in the Bema Seat judgment than the Great Right Throne judgment. It's the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And as believers, as those who are born again, when we die, right? When we're dead in Christ, as it tells us in like First Thessalonians, right? Absent from our bodies, be present with Christ. At our resurrection, at our rapture, you could say we get our new bodies, we get our resurrection bodies, and we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians. Guess what? We're not going to die again. We're not going to die again. We've only, su- we've only had to suffer one death, in a sense, physical death. Blessed is the, and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. That's us. The second death has no power over us because we're in Christ Jesus, as it tells us in Re- Revelation chapter 20. However, for non-believers at the great white throne judgment, for those whose names aren't written in the book of life, they're just going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to face a second death. Here's the equation for you. If you want a mathematical equation that looks like this. Born twice, die once. Right? Born once, die twice. I only want to die once. So these words that Jesus is talking about here, the authority that he's talking about, the authority to judge, the authority to give life, these are bold words. Extraordinary claims by Jesus. He says that he judges and his judgment is just. Right? But he also says that he's not making these claims on his own. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That has to do with judicial law and everything like that within uh, the, the, the rules that they had set up within the, you know, the culture and stuff like that. He says, but there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He talks about John the Baptist. He, you know, he talks about his works. He says his works testify to the fact that the Father has sent him. He says that the Father, uh, has, he himself has borne witness about me. He gives all these examples he says that I'm not just making these claims on my own, right? Did you not listen to John the Baptist? Have you not seen my miracles? Do not these bear witness about who I am and who sent me and the authority that I have? But he also comes in this, and this is very important. He says, the, the word of God, the scripture, you guys are reading that you have memorized the books of Moses, they but not just limited to the books of Moses. They speak of me. Scripture speaks of me. Matter of fact, he tells them, he says, the very scripture that you read, the very scriptures that you search for eternal life, 
right? You search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. In verse 39. He even tells them, like I said, Moses wrote about me. Where did Moses write about Jesus? Oh my goodness, we don't even have time to go over all the examples. Remember when we were going through the book of Genesis, that's just the first book of Moses, and all the different references that pointed to Jesus or the Christophanies that were written down by Moses, the appearances of the angel of the Lord, the appearances of the Son of God, right, before his incarnation. Genesis 22, 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. That's a picture of Jesus. When you get into Exodus, you have the burning bush, you have the Passover, you have the unleavened bread, you have the rock and the pillar of cloud and the fire, you have the man from heaven, you have the source of living water. All of that's like in Exodus and all that points to Jesus. The temple points to Jesus. All these things inside the temple point to Jesus. Numbers 21, right? Even Jesus has referenced this verse already. Here, I believe in the Gospel of John, he says, the Lord said to Moses, make a serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. What's that a reference to? That's a reference to Jesus. Even Jesus said so himself, right? Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. What's that referring to? That's referring to Jesus. And that's just a small little tiny section of scriptures from those five books where Moses just points to Jesus, the coming Messiah, the Son of God, God. But Jesus is telling them, listen, you know all this. You've had all these scriptures, but if you're not going to believe Moses' writings, how are you going to believe my words? Well, right at the beginning, John, the apostle, when he's talking about Jesus in John chapter 1, right? He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's what Jesus is, is referring to. God sent his son. I'm right here standing in front of you and you don't receive me. Therefore, you don't honor God. You say you honor God. You're honoring God with your lips. You know the words. You have the scriptures, but yet you're ignoring them. You're not putting the points together. You're not drawing the complete picture out of what God's word says. You don't want to accept me as who I am. You know, Jesus, after he was resurrected, met a couple men on the road, right, to Emmaus. And they didn't recognize Jesus post-resurrection. They didn't recognize him really until after technically he'd gone. And then they realized, oh, man, we've been talking to Jesus, right? But they were discussing his death and resurrection and they were discussing everything that they had heard already, which is that the disciples had gone to the tomb and the tomb was empty and Jesus wasn't there. And so they're discussing all this and Jesus just like pops out as they're walking and kind of starts walking with them. Hey guys, what's up? Yeah, what are you talking about? Oh man, have you heard the story about Jesus of Nazareth? You're not going to believe this. They crucified him. And then on the third day, they went to the grave and the, and the stones rolled away and he's not in the tomb. And Jesus said, wow, wow, interesting story, man. This is fantastic, right? Tell me more. But actually what he says is sort of a condemnation. He calls them foolish. He says, listen, you're foolish because you don't understand Scripture. Didn't Scripture testify that all of this was going to happen? Didn't Scripture say that this is how this was going to happen in the Messiah and and that, that points to Jesus being the Son of God and the Messiah and 
And they're like, what? And he says, yeah, give me your Bible, right? Whatever they had, right? So he grabs the scrolls or whatever they have carrying with him. And it says in Luke 24, for example, verse 27, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scripture, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus did a Bible study with these two guys on the road going through the books of Moses and the prophets and said, here is what God's word said about Jesus. Now that's a study I wish I could have heard, right? And he says, you're foolish because you didn't understand it. How can you sit here wondering what's going on and just where's Jesus and how come he wasn't in the grave and all that? And he's like, do you not read your scriptures? It's right here, right? So he, he basically condemns him. He's like, you're slow. That's what he says. He says, you're slow to believe God's word. And this is why I think it's very important for us. And today, specifically, in the season in which we live now, in these last days of the last days, right? This is why I believe it's so important for us to know who Jesus is and to know what God's word says about Jesus and what Jesus even said about himself. So we are not slow to believe, right? So we, because if we don't have a clear and firm understanding of God's word, right? If we don't have a clear and firm understanding of Jesus, then guess what? You can be deceived, you can be deceived. What did I just say a few weeks ago? If you can, you know, we were talking about seeing is believing, which I said is wrong, right? Because seeing is not believing. It's actually believing is seeing because faith comes first before sight. But if seeing is believing and, and if you can believe just by seeing, then you can be deceived that way as well. Jesus tells them right here in verse 43 of uh, chapter 5. He says, I have come in my father's name, and if you do not receive and you do not receive me, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Listen, you're not accepting the truth. And if an anti-truth comes, you will receive it. You will receive him. How come? Because you don't understand God's word. You don't believe God's word. You're slow to believe because you're not knowledgeable about the things of God and what God says. Right? It's a reference to the coming Antichrist. Right? If we reject the truth about Jesus, then ultimately what we will, re- what we will receive is false. This is one of the reasons why you need to understand all this because of the coming one world religion which is kind of what we've been listening to this coming week. Some of us here have gone and listened to Shahram uh, Hadian, thank you, who uh, had spoke a couple times this week about one world religion, one world government. And he has a Muslim background and he's been saved for about 24 years now. He's born in Iran. His family's from Iran. So he knows a lot about Islam because, of course, he was raised in it. And... Uh, So understand that the coming one world religion, think about it. And he brought up a good point. And I think it's, I hadn't really thought about it in the same exact way. And, you know, but I think it's, it's a valid point. People aren't going to fall for some new religion. 
They're not going to fall for something all new and shiny that they've never heard of before, serving a God that they do not know or have never heard of before. No, it's going it's to look, feel, taste like something they've experienced before, like something they already know. It's going to be false, but it's going to be similar to something they already know. It's going to be a mixture of world religions. And I think he's right when he says that it's primarily probably going to be Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Of course, we have Chrislam now, which is a whole other story, right? But it's a mixture of Christianity and, and, and Islam. But the more we let things like this do mix and we don't, we don't understand the differences and we don't understand what God's word said, it's easier for us to be deceived when someone comes along and says things like, listen, and he even talked about this, listen, listen there's, there's common ground between uh, Islam and Christianity. There's common ground between Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. We shouldn't be against each other. We should all be united together because we have common ground. What's the common ground? Abraham. Abraham's the common ground. Yeah, it's Abraham. I mean, yeah, well, doesn't the, the, doesn't the promise come through Isaac? Well, <coughs> you know, uh, no, no. I mean, I mean, specifically if, we're, if you're talking to someone who's who, uh, a Muslim, Isaac, no, no, no. Isaac's not in there. The Jews distorted the scripture. Isaac's not in there. The promise came through Ishmael, right? The whole idea of common ground, the interfaith, they call it interfaith uh, movement and the multi-faith movement, guess what? It's deception. It's demonic. Why? Because religions like Islam have taken Jesus out of it, right? They don't even believe he was crucified, they actually, according to, to uh, Sharam, they don't even believe that he was on the cross. They believe that Allah took someone else, put him on the cross, and made him look like Jesus. So that everyone thought it was Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus at all. Some of them teach that it was actually Judas. They actually believe, this is what they believe about Jesus. They have eschatology. I don't know if you know that. They have eschatology. And in some ways, it's very similar to Christian eschatology until you actually get down to the details. And then when they, they talk about like the Antichrist, for example, who do they believe the Antichrist is? Jesus. They believe the Antichrist is Jesus. You can't have common ground when someone's deluding or distorting or deleting Jesus. There's no common ground. I don't care if your DNA can trace back to Abraham or not. And 80, what was the stat uh, that he gave? 80% of Muslims aren't even Arab or something like that. They don't even have a DNA that can, if you want to just speak DNA, they don't even have a, a lineage that can be traced back to Abraham. Anyway, it's deception. It's demonic. Allah and Yahweh are not two different names for the same God. They're not. Allah's not in the Bible anywhere. But they'll tell you that's what it is. And those, and, the, and, and Christians who are ignorant in their faith, Christians who haven't read or been taught or understood what God's word said can be deceived by things like that and think, you know what, you're right. It's just, oh, just a name for the, yeah, common ground. We're all, we're worshiping the same God. We're, you know, we're brothers and sisters. Listen, 
Islam does not believe that you're their brother and sister, right? They may tell you that, but again, it's deception. They want to get you in so that they can get control of you. They want to deceive you until you pull away from Christ. That once they get you in their grasp to say, per se, then they can close the door behind you and you're trapped. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. They don't like Christianity. They don't even want it being anywhere near them. Anything that you see, it's in, uh, is it in Abu Dhabi? Or where is it? It's in, uh, uh, no, uh, I can't remember what uh, city it's in where they've built the, the synagogue and the Christian church and the Dubai. Right? It's, they built it together. Right? It's one of the first places where they have the three churches built together in the same property where we can come worship together. Those are the, that's the early grounds of the coming one world religion. But it's false. Any religion that distorts or deceives or deletes Jesus is a false religion. The Mormons teach a false religion. Right? It distorts the nature of God. It distorts the person of Jesus. And it distorts the means of salvation. It's a false religion. Right? Jehovah Witnesses, they teach that Jesus was the first created being. It's a, a false teaching. It's a false religion. And you're like, well, why does any of this matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Because all that deception is purposeful. It's all purposeful. Right? The deception is purposeful and demonic and all has to do with leading you away from Jesus and leading you into a false religion and a false gospel. And if you don't know the truth and you don't know who Jesus truly is and you don't know what God's word says about him and what, God, and what Jesus has said about himself, it's easy for you to fall into that trap. This is why Jesus himself in Matthew 24, Jesus himself says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Right? When his disciples ask, what are the signs you know, of the end of the time and your second coming, etc.? He says, the first thing he says is, right, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Because people will be led astray when they don't know the truth. And it's not just something that's happening now because the church has struggled with this from the beginnings of the church. That's why in Galatians, you know, it attacks that. And that's why Paul had to write to the churches in Galatia and say, listen, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But he says, even if we are an angel from heaven, it's so interesting that he says angel from heaven, right? Especially when you line that up with the false Mormon doctrines and stuff like that. Oh, the angel Moroni. And, I mean, all these years earlier, Paul says, listen, even if we are an angel from heaven, comes down and gives you another gospel, and it's not the gospel that we give you. It's not a gospel at all. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now we'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. Right? Any other Jesus is no Jesus at all. Any other gospel is no gospel at all. There's only one Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is God. 
So it's time to stand firm. It's time to stay faithful. It's time to occupy until he comes. Right? His word is clear. It speaks loudly. It's all about Jesus. And in the end, who's our judge? Jesus is. Who's given that authority? God the Father has. Right? A lot of people say, oh, you can't judge me. Only God's going to judge me. Well, actually, Jesus is going to judge you. Jesus is the meaning of life because he is the source of life. He is the evidence for life, and he is the word of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So believe in Jesus, pass from death into life, and stand firm on his word. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, and I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that we can continue to do this, that we can continue to grow deeper in our knowledge of you, grow deeper in our relationship with you as you continue to reveal yourself to us, and we will have a better understanding, Lord, of who you are. We all want to accept a certain version of Jesus, but sometimes we forget that Jesus is a, has, is a much fuller picture than that. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Right now, he's, he's, his patience is what's keeping us where we are because he, he's so patient. He doesn't want any to perish. And he's just waiting for as many to come to him as possible. He knows the number. We don't know it. But then he's coming again. And he's coming on a white horse. He's coming on a robe dipped in blood. He'll have a sword coming out of his mouth. It's a picture of Jesus that a lot of people don't want to accept. But it's still Jesus. Because he's coming to rule the nations and he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And his name is written and says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're all willing to accept Jesus as one thing, but are we willing to accept him as king? Are we willing to accept him as Lord? Are we willing to accept him as judge? Are we willing to accept his authority in all things and all ways in our life? That's what we need to do. So I pray, Lord, we just can continue to do that so we can just continue to be a light in the darkness and point people to the truth and the hope, to the grace and the mercy that's found in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us understand the truth so that we will not be deceived, so we will not be led astray, and that we can help others not be led astray and deceived as well. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.